You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. I'm Jocelyn Kirby. I am a dermatologist from Penn State. Uh, and truth be told, I get really nervous speaking in public. Um, but if there is anything that would help me get past that, it's talking about HS. So I'm really glad that this is my topic because I just feel really passionately about this. Um, my husband watches a lot of sports. I'll walk into the room. He's got some game on. I don't know any of the rules, but I know who I'm rooting for, and it's whichever team is losing. So I love the underdog. Like, I just, I want to rally behind that person who's just not supposed to win. And sometimes it feels like I hear from my patients with HS, like they aren't winning. And they can't win with their disease. They can't win with finding a relationship with somebody who understands what they're going through. They can't win at work because they just can't find one that will let them have HS and still show up every day and be able to do that. So I hope that at the end of the next two wonderful hours um, that you will hopefully understand a little bit more about sort of what they're going through um, and also that there's a lot of hope on the horizon. And that is the one thing, if I remember anything from you know, going to school for too long, is that my job is to give people hope. And I try to make it realistic hope, and I don't oversell things, but I, I don't ever want to walk into a room and be like, there's only one drug for you. So hopefully at the end of this, you'll hear a little bit more about what they're going through, but also all the options for treatment is the second hour. So take home point, first talk here. Comorbidities and HS facts, there's a long list. We're not gonna talk through all of them. I'm gonna lump them together into kind of big groups so that way when you walk into a room, you sort of have this list in your mind of maybe some really practical things that you can ask about or do to really fully assess that person's health. And surprising fact, most of those things are not gonna be you know, the biological science that we spend so much time studying. And that was a really big shift in my brain is I have to really help people take care of their HS, but I have to help them kind of cope with it. Uh, and the fiction part of this is that you can't do something. There's lots that we can do and a lot of it is pretty easy and practical in the setting of a normal visit. So at the start, we're gonna do just a couple of questions and at the um, end and through the content, I think you'll get these answers. So first one is, HS can contribute to presenteeism, which is being present at work but not fully productive, or absenteeism, which is missing work. What's the average number of missed days of work? All right, the answer here, because I want to reinforce this a number of times, 34 days of work. So you're like, oh, that's a month. You know, that's a lot, but not terrible. This is days of work. So if you think about an average work week, that's five days. So this is actually one and a half months of missed work per year. And so it's not surprising, in a slide I'll show you, how often these people are passed over for promotion, 
and how often they actually are fired or having trouble finding jobs. What's the best estimate of the rate of arthropathy, arthropathy, so one of the medical comorbidities of HS, in this group of people? Good, so it is 36%. And so, in my brain, it's easy to walk into a room for a patient with psoriasis and say, okay, psoriasis is a disease of the skin, the nails, and the joints, so I have to remember to ask about that. But in HS, I didn't grow up with that knowledge. I thought HS was just an inflammatory skin condition. But we are learning so much more about how so many inflammatory skin conditions can contribute to so many other comorbidities due to that just intense inflammation. So about a third of these patients, a very similar estimate to patients with psoriasis, have psoriatic, or <laughs> people with HS don't have psoriatic arthritis. People with HS have an inflammatory arthritis. So I now have to change my brain to say, all right, HS is an inflammatory skin condition of the skin and of the joints. And yes, we're gonna talk a lot about the emotional, spiritual, kind of mental health aspects of HS. So the PHQ, or the Patient Health Questionnaire 2, is a quick way to screen for which one of these conditions. Great, I didn't know what the PHQ questionnaire was until a couple of months ago, but it is a quick way to screen for depression, a two-question screening, um, and I'll tell you in a second, uh, those two questions, what to do when you get the results, and how to move forward with there, uh, from there. I think one of my biggest frustrations whenever I sit in the audience and hear a talk is, well, you just told me to do this test, what do I do with the result? And so if I neglect to tell you what to do with the result, please ask, please ask the question. Um, but I've really tried to include that in this talk. Uh, last question. HS is not visible in most settings, and so it doesn't really impact relationships with family or friends, true or false. Yes, so probably a lot of you have patients with HS, and um, they sometimes are a little shy about talking about the impact, but 100% of these patients can tell you a story of how it's impacted their life. One example, we had grand rounds not too long ago. A patient with HS came in, and the residents went into the room. They took all the pictures. They wrote up this nice synopsis and put it on the door, and Everybody walks into the room and they can see the nodules and the abscesses, but the resident who is preparing that patient for the discussion asked a really important question, which is, how does your HS impact you? And the woman immediately starts tearing up. And she says, HS doesn't let me be the mother that I wanna be. And that was the title of the slide that we presented for all those people in that audience. And so while this is a condition that when we enumerate its features, it's an inflammatory skin condition, you know, it's in bodies that are, are areas that are covered, you know, 
it is still such a huge impact on these patients. And they are not always forthcoming with just how huge an impact it has on them. And so this is a woman who wrote about her experience with HS. This morning, uh, Cynthia gave a talk about psoriasis, and she mentioned, you know, how having psoriasis on the back of your neck would, you know, really impact your life, especially when you wore your hair up. HS patients have said to me, I wish my HS was psoriasis. I wish it was a broken bone that anybody could see, because the fact that it's hidden makes me want to hide it even more. The fact that it's in these private, but still highly important kind of sexual parts of our body makes them feel awful in a very different, special, and important way that can't be overstated. So while it is covered by clothing, this is still visible. I've had patients say, sure, it's covered, but everybody at work knows I have one because I kind of have to walk differently. When they sit in a chair, they're kind of leaning onto one cheek because they just can't do things normally covered, but still visible, I think is really important. And so while quality of life among skin conditions is not a competition, I'm not here to say that, you know, it's HS is so much worse. But when you do kind of that research and you have people score the impact of their skin condition on their quality of life, the impact reported by people with HS, those scores are much higher. And so that's, I think, just really important to know in the back of my mind when I walk into these rooms. So we know that HS causes pain. We know that it causes drainage. We know that it contributes to odor. We know that the lesions are mostly covered, but sometimes what we forget about is that some of these symptoms are also less talked about. So fatigue really is a big part of having a chronic inflammatory condition. Itch is actually a big part of what patients feel at the very beginning of a flare-up with HS and at the very end as it's going away. So talking to these patients and only using the words pain, drainage, and odor does not fully capture what these patients feel. So being able to just ask the open-ended questions, tell me what symptoms you're having from your HS that are bothering you so much. You will probably get tears from them because they've never had somebody ask them just to describe their experience. They've often had people come in and tell them, oh, you're dirty, you're fat, you need to stop smoking. They revolt at those suggestions because so many of them have had that suggestion, tried stopping smoking, tried to exercise, but then they got a flare-up so they couldn't do it. And so we need to keep in mind the experience of each one of those patients, both positive and negative. And what's important too is to realize as people, when we talk about this quality of life and when we think about comorbidities, we need to think about all of it. That while physical health is one of these circles, it is not isolated in the way that it looks in this figure. If you imagine these were balloons and I was holding the strings, this is me, this is my holistic quality of life. Those balloons hit each other, they bounce off, they kind of move around in terms of where they're sitting. And I think it's important to think about it that way because physical health will impact your emotions, that feeling of your spirit and who you are, how you identify yourself. It definitely impacts your academic or professional or work uh, life, and it definitely impacts 
uh, your social interactions. So I think it's just really important, again, when we walk in that room, that our goal is not just to treat the physical disease, but to acknowledge that it has such a big impact uh, on everything else. So we're going to focus on how HS and some of the data here really applies to all of these aspects of quality of life as comorbidities, uh, academic and professionally. So if you have a painful boil under your arm and so many of our jobs involve computers, you're going to be thinking about that boil every blessed time that you have to do something. So presenteeism is this idea that I show up at work, but my brain is not really present. I am not able to focus. So these people, their, their ability to be productive at work goes down. And they try and hide it, but it's hard. Um, admittedly, I learned that I was a wimp not too long ago. And I got this inflamed hair follicle, you know, on my leg. And, uh, you know, I was so distracted by this tiny little thing it was, I was such a whiny baby because I was like just annoyed and I don't know, whatever. I was terrible. And it really made me acknowledge like what these people go through when they have an inflammatory nodule that's a hundred times bigger and a hundred times more inflamed and they have multiple of them. So the idea of being able to be at work and be productive when you have that much pain, it's not possible. So this is the answer to that question, where if we look at the number of people who had any kind of absence from work due to their HS, 58% of them said they had some kind of absence. I was actually surprised that it was only 58%. When we asked, how often did you miss work? Like, how many days? This was that 34 work days, which again, ends up being a month and a half of missed work. And so, a, somebody who misses a month and a half of work, you know, being put up for promotion against somebody who took only their, you know, regular vacation days, probably managers and bosses are going to notice that. Um, and so I have a number of patients uh, with HS who have FMLA, and it's intermittent. And, you know, I think I just tell them, I need you to be honest with your employers when you're comfortable telling them what you have, because so often they tell their coworkers, oh, I have migraines. I've never seen a migraine have somebody walk differently. Um, so I think that idea of being able to be honest with your coworkers, uh, and we'll talk about a little bit of stigma uh, and how psoriasis has become much less of a stigma for people. We kind of need that re renaissance in HS, and it's only going to happen as we become honest about what this condition is. Job loss, 10% of people have lost a job, whether it was due to this absenteeism or presenteeism, or they just said, you know what, I just can't show up at work anymore. I need to be on disability. And that's a really kind of sad decision uh, to have happen. Missed promotions, 23% said that they did not get promoted when they thought they were just as deserving, and it was because of their HS. So HS having these comorbidities, these impacts both on them as they identify themselves as workers, which is such a huge part of our culture in the U.S. Like if you work, you're good. Um, and they're not able to do that the way they want to. So the way we typically kind of think of things, this is the way, you know, I was raised through my education is just thinking about the pathophysiology and the biology of things. And if you get, you know, this really inflammatory and scarring process, stuff's going to happen. So when that happens up on your lymph node draining basins, you get lymphedema, uh, you get scarring of the skin. 
anemia of chronic disease. Uh, squamous cell skin cancer, thankfully rare, but does happen in long-standing uncontrolled disease, and that really seems to favor the disease that's long-standing uh, in the groin, genital, perianal area. And when you get that really inflamed disease, you get so much scarring and architectural change, you can't tell what's an ulcer from HS and what's an ulcer from squame. And so if you see a change in the characteristic of the disease, and patients are sometimes very good at this, a different and even more foul smell because squamous cell, those cells just grow and grow and grow and outgrow their blood supply so you get necrosis. There's a different odor that goes along with that. But sometimes um, you just need MRIs in those really you know, severe people where you're having trouble knowing what's going on. Amyloidosis is a deposition disorder. Uh, it can happen in any long-standing inflammatory condition, uh, and it's been reported in HS. Luckily, it's pretty rare. But these are all the sort of medical things we think about as comorbidities of uncontrolled HS and reasons why we really do want to jump on it early, control that inflammation, so that way they don't get these bad things but also so that all these other things, the academics, the emotional, all of that stuff can almost be stopped in its tracks. So health and wellness, the approach for review of systems. I don't know about your office, but we have one where people you know, fill out a questionnaire before they're brought into the room or they fill it out in the room. This is a way that we try and capture this information before I even go in. So I can kind of take a look at this, see where people are having some trouble. So fatigue, 40%. And let me back up. If you look at the percents on this slide, only one of them is pretty low. So that's inflammatory bowel disease. It's one to 3% of people with HS have comorbid IBD. But these are not small percentages when it comes to the percent of people who report fatigue, who have diabetes or obesity, who have that inflammatory arthritis. So these are all really important questions that we ask when we have patients uh, with HS who come into our clinic. And for good reason, these bottom three numbers related to the psychological comorbidities. Anywhere from 40% to numbers as high as 60%, more than half of patients with HS having depression. Anxiety. Why would people with HS have anxiety? Well, it's not uncommon. But if we think about what they experience, which is, I go to sleep and I wake up in the morning and I never know if I'm going to have a boil. I never know if I'm going to be able to go for that jog. I never know if I'm going to have pain when I have a big presentation. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that you know, nice winery tour that I had planned this weekend. So there's an anxiety of never knowing what to expect the next day because boils come on so quickly sometimes. Alcohol and tobacco uh, use are pretty common, um, and tobacco doesn't always precede HS. The relationship between smoking and HS is really not well established, and we cannot promise to people that if they stop smoking, their HS gets better. We can't. We don't have data to prove that. I can tell them, you know, it's not a great idea to smoke only because you know, it's not good for your lungs, it contributes to heart disease, and the fact that you have diabetes and you're overweight are also risk factors for that. But we can't say that your HS will go away if you lose weight or stop smoking. And so going into the room and saying, you need to stop smoking, you need to lose weight, 
are not ways to get that person to establish a therapeutic relationship. We can offer advice and we can keep kind of chipping it away uh, at that goal. Um, but this is pretty common and it's probably related to sort of avoidant coping. So there are definitely ways to cope that might be more productive and ways of coping that are less productive. And at the end of this talk, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about how there's a little bit of data showing that if we can give suggestions to people about how to be more resilient and use maybe more productive coping methods, that they can kind of work through their disease a little bit better as we try and get the medicines on board or the surgeries that we're doing to catch up with the impact of that HS. So related to the health and wellness, what are the things that we can do? So diabetes, we said, was pretty common. So we can ask about the polydipsia and polyuria. We can do some of this testing. Hemoglobin A1C is, again, really reflecting what's been going on for the past three months with their blood sugars. Um, obesity, we pretty routinely get heights and weights uh, with our HS patients. IBD, just asking about diarrhea and if it's been going on for more than four weeks. Urgency when they have to have a stool, blood on their stool, or pain or cramping in their belly. Arthropathy, so just as we ask with psoriasis, do you get kind of more stiff in the morning? Do you feel like your joints are just gelled up and then as you move you feel better? So it's that same sort of inflammatory arthritis. Um, pain uh, could be in their spine, so they can have a central arthropathy or the more typical peripheral. And again, that depression questionnaire, uh, which we ask each one of our patients when they come in. Now, to be completely honest, I have an HS clinic and I have half a day where I just walk into every patient room and I can kind of be in that mindset. And that helps me a lot and it helps my staff a lot because we sort of know all the routines. Um, but this is something where if you have a piece of paper and you can put all the questions that you want for that patient, you know, your staff can grab it and you can say, all right, this is a patient with HS. I really want to get this information before I get into, you know, the visit too far. Can you have them fill it out and I'll go see the next person and go back into that room? So kind of finding ways to make the flow work for you if you can. So this is the patient health questionnaire too. This is that screening questionnaire for depression. It asks people two very simple questions about their last two weeks, which is, have you had any issues with finding little interest or pleasure in doing things or feeling down, depressed, or hopeless? And if they answer anywhere in this square, if they have a score of one for either question, that is a positive screening test. And so what you can do is follow up with a second piece of paper that you might pull out, which is the PHQ-9. So this is a nine-question questionnaire. Having a score of 15 or higher on this is moderate symptoms of depression. And we refer all of these patients to psychology or psychiatry in their area and our area. Another thing that's really helped us is that we developed a questionnaire, or sorry, not questionnaire, a list of all the psychology and psychiatry resources by county around us. We have a pretty large catchment area in central Pennsylvania, so we tried to you know, reflect where our patients come from. We hand that out now to not only the patients with H, but HS, but the ones with vitiligo or alopecia. Whoever can benefit from that kind of support, it's not HS specific. Uh, has the phone numbers, what insurances they might uh, take, what uh, familiarity they might have with dermatology conditions, um, and it's really helped us a lot. So 15 or higher is where we absolutely make that suggestion. And then we can follow up with these questionnaires as people come in to see us and look at the scores. So what are risk factors for depression? 
all of these here, these are all the ones that are pretty common in people with HS. They have a chronic medical disease. They are constantly stressed, not just by their HS, but you know, by life in general. Um, they have chronic pain. Most of them are female, and very often they've grown up with low self-esteem, again, because of just these important and private uh, parts of their body that have been affected by the HS. Uh, I did not highlight low social support, but there is a good uh, proportion of people with HS who do come from a lower socioeconomic status. Uh, and so these patients probably do have a little less social support. And they've also isolated themselves from relationships, not only just with coworkers, but friends, family, everything. Uh, very often they are single again because they're not engaging in relationships. Uh, and they do tend to be younger when all of this starts to happen to them. And it's important to realize that depression doesn't always come out as saying, you know, doc, I, I think I'm feeling hopeless today. No, they, they come in and they say, yeah, besides my HS, now I've got this belly pain that I don't know what to do with. And, you know, they're not endorsing a lot of the symptoms of maybe IBD, but it's not just the abdominal pain. You know, they're saying they're just fatigued and now they have headaches and they're kind of having more somatic symptoms due to the depression. So realize that we have to try and tease apart how much of these symptoms are due to real medical comorbidities, but how much of it really could be depression. And that's you know, up to 40% of these patients. So going back to this patient, um, I wanna kind of talk about not just the feeling of depression internally and sort of that, that mental health aspect, but also the stigma that HS has for these patients. So a stigma is really a sense that you are different or not as good, so it's usually a negative connotation compared to the people around you. Um, and so I've heard stories from people saying a 21-year-old girl um, came down. She drove two hours to be in this uh, study I was doing. And uh, she said, you know, I was uh, working last night. I work at the casino, but this was really important, and it was you know, like seven o'clock in the morning. So she was pretty tired, but she made the drive. And uh, she said, yeah, you know, I'm 21. The, the guys, you know, I'm a waitress and, you know, they kind of wink at me or want to pick me up. And, you know, I just, I don't, I haven't dated. I've never had a boyfriend and I'm 21 years old. And it's because I don't want to show them my body. I don't want the questions. And there are people who have been on dates and you know, they were, thought they had a connection and then you know, they moved their arm in such a way that their HS was visible. And this woman who was 28 said, you know, he got up not long after that and just walked out. That doesn't, that doesn't feel very good to anybody. It doesn't feel good when you don't have a medical condition. Um, a 40-year-old woman who says, you know what, I'd love to have sex with my husband, but I can't and he's pretty understanding, but it's still really hard. And so this idea of this impact from relationships is such a huge part of this uh, disease. And I thought this was a really nice graphic to kind of depict this idea of stigma, that, that people with HS isolate themselves because we learn from a very young age what is acceptable in society. What is beautiful? What is a goal? How are we supposed to act? And none of that involves having red purple bumps that drain a smelly drainage and cause ribbon-like scarring. And so 
they just learn to not even put on the tank top or go to the beach. I've had patients who've never been to the ocean or put on a bathing suit, and it's because of the stigma that they have because of their condition. So all of this contributes. And this Get Your Skin Out is a social media campaign that a young woman from uh, Britain founded, and she has psoriasis, so that's why you see these psoriasis images. And she said, you know what, one day I just got sick of it. I was going on dates with guys, and as soon as they'd you know, want to get with me, I'd have like a five-minute Q&A session on psoriasis, and you couldn't catch it, and I'm not going to give it to you. And she was thinking as far as the fact that the guy would have dark sheets on his bed, and her scaling would show up, and so she was like having to prepare him for that. She was like, you know what? I'm going to start this social media campaign. I'm going to get my skin out. I'm going to show people what psoriasis is. And so she started posting pictures of what it was like on an everyday basis to have psoriasis. And there is a lot more of these campaigns that we now see related to psoriasis. And so I think that part of the challenge for our patients with the HS is that we just don't talk about it that much. They don't see it as, they think that they are the only one with HS. I did this, uh, you know, that uh, research you know, you know that research I did. No, you don't. Um, but I mentioned, I mentioned that young woman, 21, she came down for this, this research study I was doing, and it was just interviews. I was just talking to people with HS, and sometimes it would get two or three people around a table at a time because it's just a little more efficient. And uh, I remember so strikingly this woman coming in and sitting down and seeing the other two women with HS, and they were like, she was like, you have HS too? And each one of them was like, you, really? I'm not the only one? And so we have a support group that we run uh, for HS. And it's just important to know that you don't need to host one at your practice, but people can call in. Uh, it's called hopeforhs.org. Uh, it's a nonprofit. I'm not paid for them, by them or anything. Um, but if you just go online or you give your patients that website, they can call in and hear the voices and hear the suggestions and hear the problem solving of how you get your pads to stick when you're, you know, working. You know, how did you tell your boss that you have HS? Um, all of this is stuff that I wasn't trained for in medical school. I don't know about you guys, um, but. Patients can solve problems for each other much better than sometimes I can solve them. And uh, when I hold these um, support groups, I'm sometimes p making notes, and I've developed this uh, sheet that I give to patients, which is you know, helpful hints from other patients with HS, and it talks about which deodorant brands they like and which bandages they like and who thinks shaving makes it worse and what blades they use. So this is all stuff that um, people really like knowing there's someone else out there and someone who has the same problems as them. So socially and emotionally, again, it's hidden, but there's research to show that there is no difference in the effect of a scar when that scar is hidden or visible. So this was a study that looked at the effect of different surgical scars, not HS scars, but say a thyroid scar versus a hernia repair. And the fact that a thyroid scar is much more visible, everybody felt like their scar was just as impactful on them, regardless of whether it was visible or not. So the idea that because HS is hidden or the scarring is hidden most of the time doesn't change the fact that it still impacts people. 
Um, this idea of limited relationships, I told you a couple of stories about this, but people really do isolate themselves and they start it very early. So remembering that this is a condition that starts terribly uh, in some kids as young as 10 or 11 these days because adolescence and puberty start so early. But onset can be in the teens, the 20s, right in that prime of life when people are starting to kind of develop their identities and their sense of who they are and really try and engage in these relationships. Sexually dysfunction. We know for sure compared to so many other skin conditions that HS really does impair the ability of people not only to want to engage in sex, but to physically be able to do it because they might have a flare up exactly where you kind of don't want it. So how can we help people? So there's some research to show that in people who have higher resilience, that they have a better quality of life even when they have the same severity of HS. So what is resilience? Well, I've got a little quiz for you. So you're gonna get your resilience score, okay? So if you have a piece of paper or you wanna know what your resilience score is, pull it out, this is the scoring. I'm gonna give you four statements. Write down your numbers and then we're gonna total it up. So the first statement is, I look for creative ways to alter difficult situations. I look for creative ways to alter difficult situations. So it doesn't describe you at all to describe me very well. The second one, regardless of what happens, I control my reaction to it. Regardless of what happens, I control my reaction to it. Third one, I believe I can grow in positive ways by dealing with a difficult situation. So I believe I can grow in positive ways by dealing with a difficult situation. And the last one, I look for ways to replace the losses that I encounter in my life. So if you total that up, the maximum score for this is 20. People with HS are more likely to have scores that are low, meaning 13 and lower. If your score is 17, 18, 19, or 20, you have high resilience. You can be given a difficult situation. Your car breaks down, you miss work, your flight is totally canceled, and you have patience the next day. How do you deal with that? How do you adapt to it? How does it impact you? both physically and emotionally. So scores between 14, 15, 16, those are moderate, still have very good levels of resilience. But people with HS are not apt to learn that if you get a boil and you get through it, you're gonna be okay, maybe you won't get another one. No, they get another one. They get another one. They're dealt another one. And this one keeps draining and it keeps coming back and if I, try and do a treatment that I read online with some kind of oil, is it gonna help? No, it doesn't. And so they're not learning, they're not rewarded for the resilience necessarily. And the people who do develop it have learned it and they're kind of special. And we need to learn from that group of people. And so again, this is where sometimes those support groups and hearing from other people who are those 
positive deviance, the people who have done something that so many others have not been able to do is really helpful. And so this is uh, just a book that someone with HS published. And I love this image because it kind of displays that you can be dealt something really difficult, but you can push through it. You can be a warrior through this. Um, and I think that that's important to not just medically treat these patients, which is what I'm going to talk about in the second, but help people recognize they're not alone. And so these are the things that we can do um, to help our patients, not just hand them pills or injections or lotions, um, because they're going to have a lot of reservations about that stuff. Um, but they are really interested in what they can do holistically to be healthy. So yeah, HS is stressful. Exercise, as they're able to do, is really helpful. I have some people with HS who are absolutely willing to put on a bathing suit and get, get in a pool, and that is not impacting, so that way whenever you run, it's not jarring that nodule that's on your leg or that fistula. Um, so getting in a pool really can help. I reassure them very quickly, like, it's okay if your, your tunnel is open, your fistula, you have an ulcer. Like, it's chlorinated, you're not gonna get anyone else dirty, you're not gonna get infected, you're gonna be fine. Um, stress. So having a plan, a lot of the things that are in this table involve writing things down. Because as you look back at what, at what you've written, it reinforces either, you know, I was being really positive and I want to be that way again. Or it reinforces, gosh, look how down I've been. I really need to find a way out of this. And so writing plans for themselves can help. Normalizing. This is, again, I think one of the most important things that we can do for these patients outside of getting them involved in support groups or psychologists or psychiatrists is, you know what, I think it's absolutely normal to be completely pissed off by the fact that you have HS and these nodules are impacting you so much. You are not the only one and you're normal. You're normal. So naming things, so this is, again, helping people to develop healthy coping or higher resilience is name how you're feeling, what triggered it, be as specific as you can, and how did you have a scenario where you dealt with this before? So I've had patients say, you know what, I planned to go to a family reunion and then I got a boil. And she talked about how she almost canceled it. And she said, you know what, I kind of thought through it and I, I wrote down a note for myself and I said, you know what, I can't control the fact that I got a boil. I can control my reaction to it. And right now I'm saying that it is more important for me to be with my family than to give in. And so she would go back and read this note to herself whenever she felt like she couldn't handle something with her HS. So managing the stress or managing your mind, sort of your thoughts and reactions to it, mindful breathing, so this is where when you start to get worked up or you're not feeling great, even sometimes with uh, pain, you just kind of take deep breaths. There's lots of these apps online where, you know, it plays music or the sound of raindrops and you kind of listen to it for 15 seconds or 30 seconds. Something as short of that can, as short as, short as that can really help patients. And again, this thought challenging. So a lot of these patients have very negative thoughts about either the reactions they perceive in others or reactions to their HS or anything. And the idea is, I just had a negative thought. I'm gonna write it down, and then I'm gonna say why I think it was true, but then you have to force yourself to think about 
why it wasn't true. So the idea of that woman on the date who he got up and left, negative thought was he just left because he saw the HS under my arm. Why do I think it's true? The timing. I lifted up my arm to go reach for the bread. He, wa you know, he walked away five minutes later. Why could it be untrue? Well, you know what? Maybe I didn't see that he got a really important text. Maybe he said he needed to leave for something. And you know what? Maybe if he can't handle this, he doesn't deserve me anyway. So there's all these ways that we can kind of rethink or reframe a very negative thought. And sometimes we need to help people do that in the clinic. Because so often as we're examining people, they'll have a negative thought. They throw it out there in the room. And I worry that by not challenging it, it's perceived as being acceptable. And it's not. Because it only reinforces that that's an acceptable thing to keep having these negative thoughts. So I kind of say, well, why do you think it could be the opposite? Why do you think you know, we might be able to avoid it in the future? Uh, and it starts getting them talking in a more constructive way. So post questions. Just to wrap up, HS, it can contribute to presenteeism and absenteeism, but how much? What's the average number of missed days of work? Excellent, so 34 days, which turns into a month and a half. Good. What is the best estimate of the rate of arthropathy for people with HS? So remembering that HS, like psoriasis, has an inflammatory arthritis. Good. Even better. So really common, probably just as common as psoriatic arthritis, at least in the people who have those conditions. PHQ2, quick way to screen for depression, and HS is not visible in most settings, so it doesn't really impact relationships with friends or family. That's right. So it really does impact. What? Everybody got their finger on the key. Good job. All right, so the whole of HS and the whole person, thinking about comorbidities of HS. And I spent a lot of time talking about things that were not, I would argue, not typical comorbidities that you might walk into a lecture thinking about. There are those comorbidities, the anemia, the lymphedema, the squamous cell carcinoma, which can be a very high-risk carcinoma, I might add, um, meaning that it's more apt to spread, so we definitely need to find that but all the ways that HS has comorbidities outside of that patient visit. So remembering that that patient, for the hour that they're not in your office, they're probably not there for an hour, but for the time that they're not in your office, they're a person who has relationships and they work, and their HS is making a huge impact on all those other places, making them have trouble not get promoted or hold down jobs or feel as productive as they would like. I've had patients not enroll in graduate classes because they were like, my HS is not gonna let me concentrate, I'm not gonna waste the money. 
So emotionally, spiritually, socially, the idea of having those resources on hand has really helped us in our clinic to feel like we can help these patients. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, therapy is what CBT is. Um, and some of those things in that last table, you know, the, the mindful breathing, the negative questioning, all of that is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, being able to name what you're feeling and how you can work your way around it, helping people to find exercises and just brainstorming with them. But again, if you feel like you, have, you don't have all the answers, you don't have to, those uh, support groups that are either online or in person or things that they call into really can help these patients. And I think there's going to be some research coming out pretty soon really showing that people's involvement in these groups can help them cope with their disease as we find the treatments that hopefully make it so they don't have to. So HS treatment, do I treat dissecting scalp cellulitis and HS the same way? Great question. Uh, there is some research showing that TNF-alpha inhibitors really can be effective for both of these conditions. Certainly the morphology of how dissecting scalp cellulitis looks uh, is very similar to how HS looks uh, under the arm and in the groin. Um, and there's some work showing that both things like uh, oral retinoids and TNF inhibitors can help both of these conditions. Um, Finasteride, so finasteride can work in HS. There's actually a few papers out there showing that, especially in the pediatric population, uh, finasteride, which I don't usually think of for kids, um, has been a really great therapy. Um, share your handout that has helpful tips. Absolutely, sure. I don't have it with me, but if you find me afterwards, um, you can give me your email and I will send it to you. Um, if you have better ideas about how I can get it to you as a group, let me know. Um, where does isotretinoin fall in your treatment plan? Um, so this is a really great kind of prequel to what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Isotretinoin is not my go-to drug for HS. Uh, number one is I pledge, the bane of my existence. Um, and so the second reason is that it's a drug that while people are on it, uh, does fine in, in much the same way as acne. But unlike acne, which stays well-behaved after you stop the isotretinoin, the HS comes right back. So we definitely have these patients who have a syndrome of multiple skin conditions, dissecting scalp cellulitis, um, arthropathy, HS, um, acne, that's really bad. Um, and so you put them on the isotretinoin, it gets rid of that really bad acne, but the HS is still there. So it's just really important to set those people's expectations. Now I have a young man who was unlike, unlucky enough to have both HS and a Ewing sarcoma. Um, and so for him, he's really kind of just post-operative after having the sarcoma resected, and he has pretty bad HS. And so we're going to put him on isotretinoin um, because there just aren't, we don't want to suppress his immune system in any way, and he's got bad enough disease that we can't just rub topicals on it. Um, pathophysiology of HS, how does it overlap? This is a really great question. Um, I think that we probably could benefit from collaborating with more psychiatrists about how all the inflammatory kind of chemicals that are found in the blood might be contributing to anxiety or depression. There's definitely some research out there suggesting that inflammation contributes to the development 
of at least depression, I can't speak to anxiety, um, I think that part of why people have anxiety and depression is not just due to these inflammatory mediators, but as a just kind of the chronic pain. You just feel terrible. You can't do the things that you want to do. And so all those risk factors, you know, having a certain gender, um, you know, you can't control that. That's not inflammatory mediation. So there's, there's definitely kind of the cogn cognitive behavioral therapy, the learned behavior that we can try and use to treat the depression. How do I treat HS? Great question. I'll tell you in just a minute. Brian, can you scroll up just a little bit? Oh, thanks. Um, do I use metformin? Uh, yeah, so in the next talk, you'll see that metformin is going to be one of my adjuncts to treatment. I don't find that it's enough as a single agent to really treat HS, so that's why I call it an adjunct. Uh, dietary research. Listen to a presenter at another conference who suggested dairy as an influence. <laughs> so, this is a long talk, so settle in. No, not really. The, the short answer is nobody knows. Nobody does. We don't know. So there's a lot of anecdata, meaning somebody tried it and it worked, and somebody else tried paleo and it worked, somebody gave up dairy and it worked, somebody went gluten-free and it worked. So there's a lot of these kind of single stories out there often put on the net by patients who have HS. And that's great, I'm so glad your HS got better, but when we think about evidence-based medicine, there's a reason why case reports are the lowest level of evidence. We can't say with certainty that that's generalizable to so many other people with HS. We can't say that the next person is gonna get better. And it's a pain in the butt to give up foods you love. And it's really expensive to sometimes go gluten-free. So, Again, you got me like all worked up here. Um, I would say, this is, this is my answer to patients when they come in asking about diet. I say, you know, that's a really common question. I can't tell you how diet might change your HS, and there really aren't good studies showing how giving up certain foods or even adding certain foods to your diet will impact your HS. So I want you to have a balanced diet. I want you to stay healthy. I don't want you to only eat white things. But if you feel like it's something you want to try, I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't, but I would also like to try and offer you some of the things that I know about, the data that I know about. And so in that way, I try and stay a little bit humble because in the future, we might find that there is a certain diet and I wanna leave that open to these patients, but I don't want them to put themselves at risk by unnecessarily narrowing their diet and I don't want them to bankrupt themselves in the midst of it. Um, do I use aldactone, uh, which is also spironolactone? The answer is yes, uh, or dapsone. I don't use a ton of dapsone, it's just, the constant monitoring is a pain for me, and I don't think that uh, the benefit of the drug makes up for all that monitoring that has to go with it. Um, good, so we have a couple of minutes. Do you guys want a break? This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.